Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. Today is episode 681, and we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 25. Let's read our passage. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it is supported by two or three witnesses. Publicly rebuke those who sin, so that the rest will be afraid. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. Don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Some people's sins are obvious. Proceeding them to judgment, the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with a problem in the church, false teachers, and he sent this letter to provide some encouragement and instruction for Timothy. I think he also expects the letter to be read by others, and so it gives Timothy some authority that he's doing what Paul wants to do, and Paul expects to come there soon, so they better take note of that, that what they do, Paul will take note of when he does arrive. Paul's assigned Timothy to deal with false teachers. He's talked in this letter about leadership issues, about overseers and deacons. And he's talked about dealing with different groups of people in the church. He talked about older men treat them like fathers, younger men treat them like brothers, older women treat them like mothers, younger women treat them like sisters. And then he talked about widows and the criteria for having them on the list of those that the church supports. Now, in verse 17, he's talking about discipline of elders. Verse 17, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard in preaching and teaching. Well, there's some issues with the words here. The word elders, that's the same word he talked about older men back at the beginning of chapter 5, where he said, don't rebuke an older man. They're the word obviously was used just to mean older man, as he was talking about the different groups of people in the church. Here he says elders, and does he mean older man, or does he mean somebody occupying the biblical office of elder? I think it's pretty clear that he's talking mostly about those who occupy the office of elder, although he may be talking about, when he says elder, older men, But then he says those who are good leaders then narrowing it down to the older men who occupy the office of elder. Either way, his point is he's talking about those that occupy this biblical office of elder, overseer. So those who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor. Now, honor is the same word that got translated as support when he talked about the widows being worthy of support or worthy of honor. But here he says double honor. Now, how do we understand this? It could mean a variety of things. By double honor, he could mean honor and supported. 
since the word could also be translated supported, could be talking about worthy of extra support. And it's clear he, support is the primary thrust because he says in verse 18, the worker is worthy of his wages. So I think he is talking about material support here. The double honor, I don't think he's saying pay them extra. I think what he's saying is that they are worthy of double honor. So don't be a cheapskate and try to get away with paying them as little as you can get away with. The elders who are good leaders to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Now, in the translation, it gets confusing because the word especially could also mean that is. Is he talking about these overseers who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching? It could mean that there are some overseers who don't work hard at preaching and teaching, or the word he gets translated especially it could mean that is, meaning those that are good leaders, that is those who work hard at preaching and teaching. It's hard to say exactly. His point here is the overseers are worthy of support because they do lead the church. They are good leaders. Many of them work hard at preaching and teaching. But he gives support for it in verse 18. He says, For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. Now, do not muzzle the ox which trading out the grain. That comes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And the guidance there is, while the ox is working, stepping on the grain to smash it, to separate the husk from the grain kernel, the, the ox is working, and he should be able to lean down and eat some of that grain that he is working on. While he's trading out the grain, he should be able to eat some of the grain. And then the worker is worthy of his wages. That's a quote from Jesus, Luke 10, 7. Jesus said the worker is worthy of his wages. Now the scripture says, does that just apply to the Old Testament Deuteronomy verse? Or is he also including the Jesus quote in that? Grammatically, you can't say. So he could be saying the scripture says the Old Testament stuff. But then Jesus also said, or he could be saying, it's already been written in some of the early writings that Jesus has said, and we're considering that scripture. We don't know which way to take that. His point is that these overseers are worthy of the church supporting them. Verse 19. Here he shifts to second person singular, where all the verbs are in second person, meaning he's directing them at Timothy. So these are things Timothy is supposed to do or not do. He says, don't accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. And there is Old Testament support for this command. That's from Deuteronomy 19.15, where you're not supposed to accept an accusation against an elder unless it's supported by two or three witnesses. Now, the implication is there might be a problem with some of the elders in the church, that they are perhaps connected to these false teachers. And so he's anticipating that Timothy's 
going to have to discipline these elders who are errant. But don't accept an accusation. And he says, in verse 20, publicly rebuke those who sin, so the rest will be afraid. Well, why would they be afraid? Well, it's the public shame. This public rebuke would be quite shameful, particularly for an elder to be publicly rebuked uh, in front of the church. It would be a, a very embarrassing thing. So people would see that and be afraid. And verse 21, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing out of favoritism. All right, a couple things here. One is elect angels. What does that mean? Now, this is the only place in the Bible you see this, elect angels. And elect just means chosen. So you could say the chosen angels. What does that mean? Again, we can't say because he doesn't explain it. This could be angels that are chosen for a, a specific position chosen to be in the presence of God, chosen to be witnesses of what the church is doing. Uh, we can't say for sure. And it would be a mistake to take the word elect as, as is used in the doctrine of salvation of people and try and apply that to the angels. Because the idea of elect is that God has chosen people to be saved. God has chosen people to come to faith. And to say that that applies to the angels would be a mistake because he's just using the word chosen here. Plenty of places this word crops up where it just clearly means chosen. You have been chosen for this and not in the context of the doctrine of salvation. There's enough context around the use of the word elect in reference to the salvation of sinners that we have a pretty good description of it. But don't take that description and apply it to angels. And his point here is not to provide some kind of doctrine about angels. What he's basically saying here, God, Christ, Jesus, and the elect angels, he's saying heaven. Be careful what you're doing. When you start disciplining elders, publicly rebuking them. Be careful what you're doing because this is incredibly serious business. And the people of the church are watching, the people of the world are watching, and heaven is watching. And those in heaven know exactly what the deal is. So be careful. This is very serious business. As we said, I solemnly charge you. So that's the point of this is be careful accepting accusations against elders and when found to be true publicly rebuke them but treat this very seriously in verse 22 he says don't be too quick to appoint anyone as an elder and don't share in the sins of others keep yourself pure the literal translation of this is don't be quick to lay hands on someone laying on hands is often how people were appointed as elder so that's the, the concept here. And if there are elders, we don't know how many, who Paul anticipates being disciplined, publicly rebuked, removed from their position as overseer, then he's going to have to appoint some new ones. But the warning is, don't be too quick to jump on that. 
and in the process, make sure you don't sin. Keep yourself pure as you're doing this process. It's easy to get worked up and be acting out of revenge or spitefulness or whatever other motives might crop up. This is very serious business. Do it as dispassionately, as fairly as you possibly can. Make sure you don't get caught up in any sin in doing it. Keep yourself pure. Then he has this odd verse 23. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. This just seems like an out-of-the-blue statement. I think it's tied to this keep yourself pure. Keep yourself pure morally as you do all this. Keep yourself pure in your motives. Keep yourself pure in the exercises of your faith. The implication here is that Timothy has been drinking only water. And we have to ask why, because that would be somewhat odd. Does Timothy consider himself under something of a Nazarite vow, as something from the Old Testament? Drunkenness may have been a problem. It came up earlier in chapter 3, as Paul was dealing with the qualifications for overseers and deacons, the admonition about drunkenness. So was it a problem in the church, and because of that, Timothy was abstaining from drinking wine? Or was wine one of the prohibited food groups that the false teachers were saying people shouldn't partake in? And just so he wouldn't upset people, Timothy was avoiding wine. We don't know why. We don't know why Timothy is purposefully abstaining from wine. But what Paul's saying here is, you don't need to do that. That would not be keeping yourself pure. Keeping yourself pure doesn't mean you can't drink some wine. You got some stomach issues going on, and the way you deal with it in that time is there's no Pepto Bismol. You, you drink some wine. So Paul's telling Timothy, drink some wine. Abstaining from wine is not required to keep yourself pure. Now he shifts back to the third person who he's just making statements. These verbs aren't specifically addressed to Timothy. Verse 24 Some people's sins are obvious, preceding them to judgment but the sins of others surface later. Likewise, good works are obvious, and those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden. Okay, this is uh, contrasting verses 24 and 25. 24 is talking about sins. 25 is talking about good works. What he's basically saying in both these cases is some things aren't obvious, but they tend to come out later. So it's sins may not be obvious, may not see them. They precede them to judgment, meaning it may not even show up until the time of the final judgment. Some sins don't crop up and become public until later. Similarly, with good works. Some good works may not be obvious, but they're going to crop up. They're going to become visible. Now, what does this mean? I think it goes back to verse 22. Don't be too quick to appoint someone as an elder. You have to publicly rebuke, discipline elders, remove them from being an elder overseer, then okay. But don't be too quick to jump on appointing a replacement because some, you're not going to know about their full story until later. Be it sins that are hidden, that aren't going to be known until later, or even their good deeds that are 
hidden right now won't become known until later. So some people you might not consider as an elder right now, but as time goes on, it's going to become apparent, hey, that person really should be an elder. So don't be too quick to put somebody in a position of leadership until you really know, know something about them and see a track record with them. So through this, it's how to deal with the overseers. First off, those that are doing well, they're worthy of the church supporting them. Don't be a cheapskate when you support the overseers, the pastors, the elders. And if there's accusations, be careful in how you deal with that. Be honest, be above board, be forthright, be open, deal with it. And if it is found to be true, then publicly rebuke them. Remove them from being an overseer. And don't jump immediately on a replacement for them. Give it some time, both for the good and for the bad. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through 1 Timothy.